This episode of the Best Seeds Podcast is presented by LA Wine Fest. For tickets and information, go to LAWineFest.com. This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 86 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality community from right here in Orange County to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode. I'm your host, Croft McCarthy, founder and principal of the Best Seats. Thank you, as always, to my friend, Allie Coyle, who provides music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. Or if you are here in Orange County, California, check out any of her family's three really, really fantastic restaurants. Fable and Spirit over in Newport Beach, and then you have Dublin for Gastropub and Wineworks for Everyone. Both of those are in Mission Viejo. As a reminder, if you enjoy the show, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review if you are listening to it on free feeds. You can go to thebestseats.com for more content just like this. And don't forget that you can get early ad-free listening a week before the public to each and every episode, as well as ad-free access to all the past episodes by going to patreon.com forward slash thebestseats and signing up at a monthly amount that makes the most sense to you. And that is also where you will find the exclusive post show that launched in 2022. I think we're at like 13 of them now, but that is where you will get exclusive access to that as well as I'm happy to say at the time of this recording, um, the blog is coming back. There's going to be exclusive posts, links, deals, discounts on tickets for wine events, stuff like that exclusively over on Patreon as well, um, as well as a slew of other content that I'm very happy to say is finally going to be premiering and rearing its head towards the summer. But enough of that. Let's talk about episode 86. Um, extremely fired up for this one. One of the fun parts about running my own podcast is it's my universe. I get to pick the guests as long as obviously they're willing to sit down with me and, and so generously donate their time. Um, but I get to reach out to specific people, kind of, you know, businesses that I really like. Maybe it's a brand that I really like. And the way that this episode came together serendipitously was kind of just through you know, receiving e-blasts. Um, I still do a lot of freelance writing for those that don't know for a bunch of Southern California media groups. So you get a lot of publication, you know, like press releases, people reaching out to you. Hey, we're doing this. Hey, we're doing this, etc. Well, one of the people that reached out just so happens to help represent a place that I love and eat at quite frequently. And that is Philly's best. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you're not familiar with it and you're listening for the first time, you're thinking, hang on, why are we talking about a Philadelphia spot? if this is an Orange County and Southern California based podcast. Well, we're not. Philly's Best actually started out here in Orange County. The original one from 1992 is still where they launched it up in Fountain Valley. It's where we recorded this episode. And I'm so humbled to sit down with the owner and founder of Philly's Best, Bob Levy. It is a really, really, really cool little episode. Again, we snuck in there and I was able to record with him kind of right before they opened for lunch service. You'll kind of hear the, like the kitchen crew banging around in the background a little bit, which you've heard on episodes past is no big deal. But this one was super fun for me. I freaking love Philly's best. I'm an East Coast transplant. I know that yearning feeling of looking for something that you miss. I understand those kind of like 
homesick pains where, no, I'm not leaving California because I love it here, but there are certain things that I miss from back home. For Bob, it was the same thing. Stationed out in San Diego when he was serving in the Navy, he went back to Philadelphia to finish up his naval career. When he got back, it was one of those things. He looked at his wife, he said, you know what? We're going to do this. She looked at him and said, you're crazy. Well, they just celebrated the 30th anniversary of Philly's Best, and I could not be more fired up to have him on the show to talk about all things cheesesteaks, Philadelphia, and if you stick around on Patreon for the bonus episode, we're diving into Wawa, the culture of Philly, and a whole lot more. But buckle up. This is a fun one. Go out, get your, hit pause real quick, get yourself a cheesesteak, come back, and enjoy episode 86 of the Best Seeds Podcast featuring the owner, founder, the hero in my mind behind Philly's best, Bob Levy. Enjoy. Bob, thank you so, so much for taking the time to sit down today at the original Philly's Best up here in Fountain Valley. Um, before we dive into the history of the business, cheesesteaks themselves, you know, everything that I want to talk about today, would you mind taking a moment to introduce yourself, give a little bit of your background and how you came to be sitting here today? Oh, thanks. Well, thanks for coming in and having this interview today. Uh, Bob Levy, from originally from Northeast Philadelphia. My wife and I came out to California, gosh, 30 some odd years ago. And we opened our first Philly's Best here in Fountain Valley in January 6, 1992. What brought you out to California initially? Uh, just to do what we're doing. Um, I was in the service in the Navy in San Diego for quite a while. And then when I got out, I was in Philadelphia uh, just doing odds and end jobs. I had another business there, but I just wasn't happy with it. And I was like, you know what? Let's just move to California. My mom was here at the time. And I said, you know, they really need a good cheesesteak out there because they didn't have anything. All your sandwiches here were just okay, but nothing authentic. Yeah. So I said to my wife, I said, you know what? I think about going to California to open up a cheesesteak place. She was like, oh, you're crazy. I'm like, <laughs> no, let's just give it a try. And then that's what we did. So I'm an East Coast transplant myself, been out here about 12 years now, and there's an inherent missing of home because there are certain things that you cannot get out here, whether it's, you know, I'm still on the hunt for pretty good Italian food. My, I know my wife right. says that all the time. Cheesesteaks are one of those things that is so ingrained in Philadelphia's DNA as it a is. city. What is it about cheesesteaks that are just so freaking Philadelphia? Well, you know, we do take it seriously like anything else. And it's a staple of Philadelphia. Yeah. That's what we're known for. So uh, it's not just the steak or the roll or the cheese. It's a combination of all of that. And in order to achieve that, my wife and I realized that we just couldn't use, you know, the best ingredients in California rolls or so on and so forth. We had to bring it all from Philadelphia. And one of the things that we think we're pioneers of is authenticity. So we knew that we had to bring everything from Philadelphia to the West Coast. And that's what we were able to achieve. So we brought out our Amorosa rolls, we brought out the steak, we brought out even our, our peppers that we use and all the other ingredients that are in here when you walk into here, you know, our chips, our tasty cakes, birch beers, things of that nature. So we brought the, the actual authentic uh, ingredients to California and that's how we were able to create it here. I mean, it, you could have started something, you could have said Philadelphia style cheesecakes, or not cheesecakes, uh, you know, the sandwiches, everything else. You talked about that authenticity. You talked about bringing out those ingredients like that. It really does make a difference. If it you does. were to open up a Louisiana po' boy sandwich place and you did it without those style of bread or without some of those certain ingredients, it's not the same. How important was it 
to basically recreate that at-home experience out here. I mean, because that's a lot of logistics to go through, even back in 1992. It really was. And the thing is, when I was out here in the service, yeah. I would go to these places saying, you know, Philly-style cheesesteaks, things of that nature, only to be disappointed. So I knew that in order to achieve what we wanted to achieve, it had to be authentic. So when we did open and we, you know, our advertising was authentic ingredients from Philadelphia, everything from Philadelphia, including the bread. I mean, I remember my wife and I behind the counter and the family, uh, a, you know, a car will come up with family members in there. They'll send one person in just to try it because they're so disappointed before, right? <laughs> and then after they'll, they'll wave in, okay, it's really a good. And they're like, no, no, it's good. It's and good, everybody good. else will everybody. flock in. So I think that's, that's what it was all about. There was so much disappointment, yeah. right? And uh, we just knew that in, in order to achieve it, you have to do it the right way, and I mean the authentic way. Yeah. And, and that's what we were able to accomplish at that time, you see. There's so many, I mean, again, you can't go on Food Network or anything else without seeing somebody do the classic Philadelphia story of Pat's first Geno's. Yes. There's obviously a lot of other institutions back in Philly. What did you draw from to kind of come up with the recipes that you did? For when you put your cheesesteaks on the menu, what were you trying to, you weren't trying to emulate any of them. You wanted it to be your own, I'm assuming. What were you kind of drawing you from? You do. And in Philadelphia, like you said, you had the Pats, you have the Genos, and you also have, uh, you know, uh, all the other neighborhood cheesesteak places that make their own authentic cheesesteak, whether mm -hmm. it be from uh, their own local bakeries or things of that nature. So what we used is authentic ingredients that I knew that I was born and raised with. Uh, I had an uncle who had, a, who had a steak shop in Juniata Park. And we used his suppliers for what we did for out here. So I was able to make that connection with all the suppliers uh, back on the East Coast. I said, hey, listen, I got this idea. I'd like to bring it to California. What do you think? And, of course, everyone would feel, yeah, sure, let's just do it. We'll try whatever it took. <laughs> so we were able to put all those ingredients together and, uh, and emulate that here on the West Coast. So I remember coming from East to West, just sampling, I would bring bread, I would bring steak out here, try it here, just to make sure that if it does travel, how would it be? Would it still be authentic? Yeah. And we're able to create that. So that's how we got the connections. We knew the rolls that we needed was Amarosa rolls. We knew the steak we wanted. We had a, a proprietary steak that was exclusive just for us that we made. We had white American cheese. Back then in 92, white American cheese was unheard of in California. It was all yellow. So there was a little, a little learning curve, but people from the East Coast knew what it was. Yeah. And when they saw white American cheese and stuff like that, it was like, oh, wow, this is great. Well, I have to imagine that your first couple months being open, explaining what whiz was to people was probably going to be a little bit of an upsell. Yeah, that and fried onions. Yeah. Like, what do you mean fried onions? What do you mean fried? No, they're not fried. They're actually on the grill. Yeah. But in Philadelphia, we call we them call fried, them fried onions, onions. You know? Yeah. So those are the, the different... I guess the, learning yeah, the vernacular is a little bit different. For <laughs> exactly. Some people. Um, I mean, obviously, congratulations are in order. You've been doing something right. You guys just celebrated 30 years. Yes. What, what last month? We did. Take? Yeah. Yes. So congratulations on that. We're recording this in April. Obviously, March, you just hit your 30 year mark, which is huge in any industry, but especially the hospitality industry. That's that's landmark status. I mean, that's massive. Thank you. And we can't be more grateful than all the customers and the employees and, and all our suppliers through that supported us throughout the years. Yeah. Uh, the actual 30 year would happen in January. We celebrated it uh, in March of this year because uh, the 24th of March is National Cheesesteak Day. Mm -hmm. So what we decided to do was put a combination of let's just do a big celebration with that. And we expanded upon it. We gave, we had giveaways of $30 gift cards. And then we had a, uh, 
uh, a real monumental gift card, which was a cheesesteaks for a year, which is a value of $600 to a grand prize winner uh, who was actually lives in the Inland Empire now, but lived here in Orange County and was so excited to find out that we do have some in, some in the Riverside area. So she's able to now take her family there. So it turns out to be great, but I, I can't, my wife and I can't thank the customers uh, more so than anything, because even to this day, a lot of people come in. I remember when you first opened. I mean, there's a lot of memories that were uh, grown throughout the years with Philly's Best and the community. We just can't be more thankful. Well, and you were telling me before we sat down, I know that this is an audio podcast and people can't really see, but they can obviously come up here to the Fountain Valley location if they live in the area and check it out for themselves. You have a picture behind your POS system of your very first employee. And you were mentioning that you're still in contact. You guys still communicate, catch up. Yes. He's obviously got kids now, et cetera. Yes, I mean, Willis is his name. His picture's still there. Customers still come in and say, hey, we remember Willis. That's awesome. Uh, it was. It's, he's, been a, he's been a staple to this place as well. We've been very thankful that... Uh, my wife and I were sitting in the restaurant before we opened and this VW bug pulls up and this young man comes out and you know, he takes his application and he walks out and Andrew goes, I just hope he comes back. <laughs> anyway, he was, he's like a part of this place. That's why his picture is still up. I love that. And stories like that definitely kind of speak to the authenticity of it. Um, there's been such a boom in the past kind of, I would say probably past 20 years, especially kind of since the quote unquote kind of Chipotle boom of the fast casual and things like that. This is not a fast casual per se. It is kind of a little bit, but the way that you guys set up your business model and the way that you kind of are, you know, everybody orders, you're firing everything right on the grill. Everything is made kind of fresh and customers can eat here if they want to grab it to go. You guys were ahead of a lot of the rest of the industry on some of those things. What's it been like watching the business from kind of where Philly's best is positioned these past three decades? Well, it's been, we've been uh, learning with the transition of everything, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, when people walk in, we try to emulate the, uh, the sandwich shops in Philadelphia. Every mm -hmm. corner has a great sandwich shop. You know, we get to know our customers by name. Uh, we don't give out numbers. We like to say, you know, hey, Crawford, hey, nice to see you today. Yeah, you yeah, went yeah. the same as yesterday. And plus, you know, it's an ego thing. When customers walk in and, they, and you recognize your name, it, it, you know, it makes you feel good. And so what we did was, you know, when we first opened, you know, we didn't have self-serve uh, soda. Mm -hmm. It was always behind the counter. Again, that was the East Coast thing. Yep. So we learned to transition, put the soda machine out there. You know, so all these different aspects of the business, we've learned to grow on what the customer's needs were. Uh, so whether it be, you know, taking the, the, their names, putting the soda back out there, but when someone walks in, everything is made to order, uh, because it's not a mass production. Everyone's sandwich is different. Who wants onions? Who doesn't want onions? Who wants peppers? Who doesn't though? So everything is made to order. It is, you would say fast casual, but it's still, everything is made to order as if it was in a regular full house restaurant. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about the, the elephant in the room, which is kind of 2020 and the toll that it took on the hospitality industry. You know, that would have put you guys at, what, 28 years in yes. business at that point. That's the time when a lot of people, it's perfectly respectable to think about, you know, hanging it up and, and retiring and kind of moving on. 2020 comes around. What was that like as an experience for you? And then also from the business standpoint, you mentioned that you're constantly kind of relearning things. I think everybody had to relearn the industry almost as a whole during that year. We did. What was it like for you guys? Because again, you're also in different locations. Correct me if I'm wrong, but some of these are franchised. So then you have people that are kind of 
managing it, but you still want to obviously make sure they're managing the brand and the brand expectations. What was we that do. all like Well, you? you know, we have a great supportive staff in the office with, mm-hmm. with my wife leading that, along with Nancy and the other uh, people in the office, that when 2020 happened, we were all like, oh, no, what's going to happen? What should yeah. we do? And with the Philly's Best brand, as, as uh, recognizable as it was and as strong it was, also helped us with that transition. So the, 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 the team in the office was able to get our name out there again. Hey, we're, we are open for business. Come on in, you know, do our uh, third party deliveries. Uh, we are taking phone orders. You know, please, we are open for business. And then we launched that and people were so happy to know that we were open. Even though you couldn't eat here, they were coming in. We're all safe. We had our masks. We had all the mm-hmm. uh, the guidelines we had to put in place. And people were so happy that they were able to take their food home uh, and, and still get their Philly cheesesteaks. And I think, uh, again, with the brand recognition and being here for 28 years at that point, people were noticing, wait a minute, this is a very good brand. Let's give that a shot. Even yeah. People didn't try us before. Uh, so I think that helped us, helped us get through that 2020 transition. That's great. Yeah. From the business standpoint of obviously the increase of dealing with third-party delivery companies and now you know multiple online orders are coming in and things like that, what were some of the things that you all of a sudden had to deal with from the business standpoint that you never really thought you were going to have to before? Uh, great question. Uh, well, keeping everything as clean as we always do, yeah. even more so. Uh, then we were learning that, okay, all the to-go orders, we want to make sure that they were safe when they left here. So we would seal the bags, whether it be staple or put a, a seal on that, a sticker seal. So, you know, no one would break that open when it gets to the customer. It's mm-hmm. still sealed and fresh. So we want to make sure that all those guidelines were still in place uh, when all the to-go orders were going. So the, the community felt safe. The, the employees were feeling safe here. So we just instituted policies that kept the whole restaurant, you know, flowing and we did that also with our franchise partners franchise partners we sent out communications this is what we're going to be doing this is how we're going to do it any questions i'll be more than happy to go out to them and show them so everyone just picked up on it and it was you know full throttle we just kept going and we learned on the way if we had to make a change we made a change we set a communication out there yeah everyone bought onto it and it just you know again with the brand what it is we were able just to keep going fast forwarding to where we are now that's excellent um, obviously, nowadays, the industry is not without its issues. The most current one that everybody's facing, aside from hiring shortages, is also supply issue and supply constraints and the overall increase of food costs and things like that. Um, you know, I saw some graphic the other day that was trying to explain for why a generic cheeseburger is costing so much more than it generally did and breaking down the price points of every kind of product that goes into it. You're somebody who the business is built upon sourcing authentic ingredients from the East Coast. And it's not just what goes into the sandwiches. It's all the other parts of Philadelphia that make this what it is. You mentioned the tasty cakes. I mean, all the other things that are here. What kind of problems have you guys faced? Any issues like that from getting those products and getting them across and getting them here? It's a daily challenge. Uh, We're constantly monitoring the situation. Uh, if we see that we're going to have a shortage, we try to, to bulk up with that so we don't, uh, you know, have shortages or run out of products. Uh, unfortunately, we, we do run out of some things, but not our main ingredients. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we also wanted to keep ahead of is that we know there's a challenge out there of price increases and things of that nature. But what we can't skimp on is the quality. Yeah. So we have to keep the quality what it is. We, uh, unfortunately, we did have to raise some prices a little bit, um, but we held out as long as we possibly could. So again, we're trying to meet these challenges, keep what we can, 
uh, it's going to be a challenge throughout the rest of the year, we feel. Yeah. But we're ahead of it enough that we're in constant contact with our suppliers. So we try to, <clears throat> excuse me, bring everything in at a reasonable price and just keep everyone stocked. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's time for a little commercial. Yeah. It's all too common that the best seats receives messages asking for recommendations. Where to go to lunch? Where's the best happy hour? Where should I get dinner? How should I spend my weekend? Well, one of the best ways that I can think of is drinking wine, being among friends, listening to music, and constantly having a smile on my face. That's why I'm excited to tell you about LA Wine Fest. The 17th annual LA Wine Fest presented by Hotel Maya, Water's Edge Winery, and Welks Resorts heads to Long Beach June 4th and 5th at Harry Bridges Memorial Park. Enjoy unlimited wine tastings for more than 50 award-winning wineries from around the globe, plus craft brews, hard ciders, and more. The Waterfront Park location provides a perfect space to taste wine, where live music, fun, and wine education all come together for a glorious two days. For tickets and more information, you can go to LAWineFest.com. I know that I'm going to go there and enjoy the heck out of it. I recommend you do the same. And once again, for tickets and information, that's LAWineFest.com. I don't know about you, but 2020 had me re-looking at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potager comes in. Heirloom Potager designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef. Owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotager.com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, potager, P-O-T-A-G-E-R.com today. Once again, that's heirloom potager. If you listen to the best seats at all or read the content, then you know the motto, live well and often. But what does it mean? In layman's terms, it's trying to give you the best products, places, experiences, and more, so you can put a big smile on your face every single day. Amass Botanics is what I use on my back bar constantly if I need a cocktail or a quick pick-me-up. Any of their other botanical products, like candles, hand sanitizer, and more, also helps to set the mood. Now, I'm a big fan of everything that Amass does. I have been since day one when they launched their trademark gin, and everything they've done since then has been nothing short of excellent. Now you can get your hands on their products at a discounted rate by going to amass.com and using the discount code THEBESTSEATS15, that's C-E-A-T-S, at checkout. Now it's limited one per customer, so make sure you load up. But trust me, you can't go wrong with anything they're doing. I stand by Amass 100%. They're one of my go-to brands for spirits needs or anything around the house. So again, Go to amass.com, that's A-M-A-S-S, and use the code THEBESTSEATS15 at checkout. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. 
That makes sense. Um, from the standpoint, because I don't want to, I don't want to make this all doom and gloom. I do want to talk about the main reason that we're here, which is the Philadelphia cheesesteak. Um, we mentioned kind of earlier on about getting the proper ingredients and, and making this kind of as good as possible and delivering that true, authentic Philadelphia experience. You're somebody that's grew up there. You're from there. What makes a proper cheesesteak? Now, I know that this could be divisive because cheesesteaks are kind of like, like barbecue or one of those things where everybody's got an opinion, everybody's got a this, and, and we're going to talk about that even more in kind of the bonus episode at the end because I want to get your actual thoughts on a couple of things. But what goes into making, generically speaking, so we don't offend anybody's cheesesteak preferences, what goes into making a good cheesesteak? Well, it all starts with the roll. Yeah. It has to be an authentic Philadelphia style. 100% role, agreed. Okay. It, you know, so we start with that, and then we start with the next ingredient, which would be a great high quality steak. There's a lot of steaks out there that aren't high quality. We made sure that we maintain our quality. It's the same steak we've been using since we opened for 30 years. And then with that, uh, with the cheese, uh, our, our sweet peppers, which come from the East Coast. So, and of course, our grilled onions. You know, mm-hmm. we put our, we chop our onions, we, we prep them every single day, and they go on a grill, and then we grill them, even though we call them fried onions. I was going to say, you have been here a while, but you call them grilled onions. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so uh, what happens is when you put all those ingredients together, it's a combination of, of the great Italian roll. Uh, of the cheese, of the steak, uh, peppers and mushrooms, all that. But all those ingredients and the combination together, it just all comes together. It, you know, if I could say it that way. If you just have a good quality steak and it allows you roll, it's not going to be a good cheesesteak. So, again, it's it's the roll, the steak, the cheese, the grillings, and, of course, the attitude. You have to have the yeah, filled off the attitude that's to put true. it in there. That's very true. Now, I want to get back to the steak, though, for a second, because there are mixed feelings on this. Chop it up. Do you leave it just thin cut? How do you guys cook them here? We chop ours up here. However, if a customer wants to come in and say, don't chop it, we'll do that. But in our version, we do chop it. The majority of them on the East Coast do. Mm -hmm. There's a few of them that do not. That's just their preference. But again, our flavor profile, I'll put it up to anybody's in Philadelphia. That's a very bold statement. Uh, California is definitely not without its fair share of transplants. How many, like, do you actually get a lot of people from Philly or at least like that area who come in and still are discovering it for the first time? You'll be amazed on how many people are from the East Coast out here. Um, you know, when we first opened, people were saying, oh, you know, it's Philly cheesesteak. It's California. It's not going to not going to do well. Um, but it's not just the Philadelphia transplants looking for them. I also believe it's people in California themselves looking for authentic food. Yeah. Now, obviously, when a Philadelphia transplant hears about Philly's Best, they do come in and they, they're blown away. They can't believe it. From the Pennsylvania Dutch birch beer to the wise chips, tasty cakes, they see it. They walk in. It's like they're stepping back in their favorite sandwich shop in Philadelphia and also, well, New Jersey or whatever, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's still that East Coast feel, and I invite anybody, whether you're from the East Coast or West Coast, out here to get that experience. It's such a city that's unlike so many others. I mean, as far as the great institutions of the East Coast go, everybody kind of gravitates towards Boston, New York, maybe Atlanta if they're from the southern region, but Philadelphia is such a character of its own. I mean, what goes into that city, I mean, just the sports mascots alone. I mean, oh, they're really great. frenetic and gritty. I mean, th- these are lunatic sports mascots. And you can't you forget not- Rocky, too, oh right? God, the American know, all Dream. All of them. Yep. You know. All of them. Um, how important was it for you, you mentioned the attitude, to bring out... I mean, this is a city that famously booed Santa Claus at an Eagles game one time. 
Not that that's the best representation of Philly. That's because he had a Dallas jersey on, so you know, make sure everyone knows that. That's true. There is context for that story. Exactly. Uh, you did mention the attitude, though, and there is something. I mean, you're somebody who's been out here, you know, decades now at this point. You still have the accent, which I love and I'm super impressed by. Thank you. Bringing that attitude out, how do you incorporate culture into a new restaurant like this? You know, you mentioned bringing that attitude, that Philly kind of attitude, you know, the good and everything that goes with it. How do you inject that? Well, I think the attitude is welcoming people into your restaurant. That's the whole attitude. Okay. So even our employees, some of them are, you know, a lot of them aren't from there, but you know, they walk in, hi, how you doing? Welcome to Philly's best. Yeah. You're immediately greeted. Right. And then I try to, we try to incorporate that with the employees. Okay. When someone asks for a cheesesteak, you want that with or without, that means onions. So we say, do you want that with onions or without onions? We just try to give that a little bit of education, uh, even though the product does speak for itself. Mm -hmm. But again, it's the genuine welcomeness of people coming into the steak shop. Again, just like if you were going into your sandwich shop back in the Philadelphia area, it's always a welcoming. We're so appreciative of the customers that walk in that we want them to feel welcome. And, and we try to have our employees, or not try, but we do have our employees and our franchise partners who are so welcoming to the customers coming in that we want them to keep coming back. Yeah, you I know? love that. Um, we talked about kind of some of the things that have affected the business in the past, obviously 2020, current supply issues, things like that. Has that changed how you kind of look at the business as it moves into the future? I mean, has it switched around any of the ways that you kind of approach day-to-day operations now? Yes, we are more in contact with our suppliers more than anything to usually now on a weekly or biweekly basis. Whereas before we weren't really too much talking to them because everything was going smoothly. Yeah. And if you didn't hear from me, things are great. Yeah. Now it's just a matter of, okay, how are we looking? Are we going to be okay for next couple of weeks? Uh, how's transportation? Um, how's our stock? So those are the things that uh, have changed within the last couple of years is we constantly have to be ahead of the curve uh, because if once you fall behind, it's very hard to get up. Yeah. So 100%. that's why we're just constantly trying to be on there. Again, the, uh, the Philly's Best Office is constantly trying to stay ahead of things to keep us rolling. Um, and if we have a hiccup, okay, what can we do to fix it? You know, let's not dwell on it. What's our alternative? And that's what we're trying to do. You guys are, what, 20, 21 locations? 21 right locations. 21 locations. Yeah, from San Clemente all the way up to our newest one in Oakland. I mean, one of the, the, the sad realities of the past two years is that there is more commercial real estate available as places have had to close their doors and things like that. Obviously, rents are a whole kind of different animal on their own at the moment. But what does expansion look like for you guys? Well, right we're very excited. We uh, want to expand more. We'd like to get another 10 or 15 more units here in the next few years. That's our goal. We want to also branch out outside of California. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have distribution already set up in other states. So uh, if we have anyone who's looking to open up their own franchise outside, we're ready to go with that. Uh, so we are going to be currently looking at you know, the Las Vegas area, Colorado, Idaho, all these different areas, even Texas, uh, to expand the brand. We know that we can do it because we did it successfully here in California. And we know we can now do it outside of the state of California because we have distribution set up and our brand speaks for itself. That's excellent. Is there any hesitation going, well, there's obviously kind of the natural fear of moving within states and things like that, because then you obviously open yourself up to different state legislations, different rules, different kind of things like that. Is there anywhere that's kind of looking more promising in the next couple of years than maybe somewhere else? I know you mentioned Vegas. I know that Nevada is pretty good about welcoming new businesses and things like that. 
Is there anywhere that you maybe have your eye kind of set on to expand initially? Not really. We're even looking to expand here, like in San Diego and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, majority of states I spoke to about seem to be very business friendly. It's just a matter of getting the right franchise partner and yeah. or location. Um, one of the things that COVID has taught us that we don't need larger locations. It's just a matter of location. You know, could be smaller. Right now, we currently about you know twelve to fourteen hundred square feet. We could be even less than that. Yeah, because. Uh, uh, even today, people are still looking to take their food to go, uh, and we're welcoming with that. So I think that's bringing our footprint down a little bit more. So hopefully that's going to be able to uh, open up our market a little bit more as well. Yeah. Um, with opening up the markets and kind of with, you know, obviously the cheesesteaks speak for themselves, but those are not the only things on the menu. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about the other things that you've got on there, specifically one of my favorite items, your Italian hoagie. How did you go initially about building out the rest of the menu? Because you could have probably just kept it with the cheesesteaks and been, you know, fine with that. What made you want to expand to the other items too? Great question. Again, it's all about the quality of the food. So yeah. when we first opened back in 92, we also, uh, our deli partner was Boar's Head Meats at the time. And they were new to Southern California. Yeah, I was going to say 92. That would have been real new on their radar. Really new. Uh, and again, so we've been with them for the whole 30 years. So again, it's, it's all quality ingredients. And our Italian hoagie is our staple which is, you know, Capicola, Mortadella, Genoa, Salami. The proper we, way to do it for anybody ex listening. Exactly. Oil and vinegar or yep. just oil. It's up to you. And then we have uh, our special hoagie spread, which is our chopped up hot peppers, which in a nice tangy vinaigrette type dress goes on top, which is awesome. Uh, and along with that, we have our famous Taylor pork roll. Yep. Some people also call it Taylor ham. Depends where you're from, North Jersey or South Jersey. Um, which is another staple here that people can't believe that we have. So. I, can, I can feel a group text of all my Jersey friends getting ready to hit my phone right now of the <laughs> arguments. <laughs> you can't beat a good Taylor pork roll. That's completely true. Um, is there any plans to further expand the menu, or is it pretty set and pretty kind of golden where it's at right now? Well, you know what? I think that's what kept us true to us, yeah. is that we kept the menu just what it is. We're an authentic Philadelphia cheesesteak shop. So you're not going to come in here and get pierogies or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just strictly cheesesteaks, hoagies, and we have chicken cheesesteaks. You know, when we first opened in 92, uh, the chicken cheesesteak wasn't even here yet. So no. our menu was just cheesesteaks, hoagies, and we had burgers. And we put burgers on there as a just a, a fail-safe type thing, yeah. right? Yeah. I remember when people ordered a burger, like, what are you doing getting a burger? You know, it's a cheesesteak place. And then our cheesesteak... Um, manufacturer said you know we're coming up with this philly chicken that might be really good for you guys to try so he sent us some samples and boom it went right on the menu it's been a huge hit so it's a great alternative instead of having you know the the classic cheesesteak we have the classic chicken cheesesteak as well and you can have it any way you want it just like a cheesesteak with sweet peppers with sweet peppers and mushrooms we do a, a buffalo style a barbecue style so we do it just like the steak but in the chicken version love it yeah, it's awesome. Um, well, I, you guys are obviously kind of starting to get up and go. We still got to record the bonus episode, which people can find exclusively on patreon.com forward slash the best seats. But I know that you guys are rip roaring and ready to go for business. So I want to wrap this first episode up. If people want to learn more about Philly's best, um, obviously put in online orders, things like that. Find the one closest to where they may be living. Where can people do that? At? They go to eatphilliesbest.com. That's our website. It has everything on there. It has our menu, online ordering, things of that nature. So yeah, give us a, a holler or one eight seven seven Philly, uh, which you know people could just also call our corporate office right here in Irvine, California. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on thirty years. Congrats on the continued success. Um, I again. 
no smoke blown. I'm a huge Phillies Bass fan, so Thank this you. has been a very, very fun and humbling one to be able to see. We're down. very passionate about it. I, I can tell. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for the time. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Bob for taking the time to sit down. Um, again, being able to squeeze into anybody's business when they are rip-roaring ready to go prior to service, it means a lot. It means a lot to me that he was willing to take the time to sit down. Um, obviously, a very busy man, 21 locations, and they're looking to press out and open a lot more of them. I am so, so thankful for him for taking the time. Again, I love everybody that comes on the show. Certain places I'm aware of, certain places I go to myself. Philly's Best is one of those fun ones that I was so happy to be able to sit down with them tell you the story, bring it to you, and maybe share something that you didn't know. You may not have known that that mom and pop place was right in your backyard the whole time. Yeah, the Philadelphia Cheese Steakhouse, that's an Orange County special, and I'm super, super proud of it. Thank you so much to all the advertisers. Thank you to everybody who supports on Patreon. Thank you to you if you're listening on free feeds. Thank you to everybody that supports the best seats. Make sure you tell a friend about it because they are missing out on 86 great episodes if they haven't listened to them already. Stay off Yelp. Make sure to tip your bartenders and I will see you soon. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. It's based in Orange County, California. It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash the best seats. The following are the names of those who subscribed at the highest monthly tier, aka norm status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. Cheryl McCarthy, Serena Warino, George Pavlov, Eric Lutz, Paige Reardon, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk, Marito Norito, Sarah Hines, Subtle Bubbles, Jay Baker, Tim Swine, John Sanchez. Thank you for your support.